as we continue our series in defending the faith. Um, Rico Tice was here a couple of weeks ago. Um, I hear it was a, a great success, that there was a good number, and hopefully a good number of guests. Apologies, I couldn't be with you two weeks ago. I was in the Caribbean. Uh, anyway, uh, Rupert, why don't you come up? We'd love to um, meet you. Just want to ask you a couple of simple questions before we get underway. So, um, hi. Hi, Rupert. Um, Rupert, you're a minister, you're uh, ordained in the Church of England. Uh, yeah. Could you tell us a bit about where uh, you ply your trade, so to speak? Yeah, sure, Pat. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, so I'm a vicar of a church called St. Peter's in Fulham. It's the neighbouring parish to where Pat is at St. Dinus. And uh, I've been the vicar there for the last six years. Excellent. And uh, Rupert, what are some of the challenges you would say uh, there are in ministering in the 21st century, especially uh, to men? I suppose. Sorry to put you on the spot. Okay. Um, Let me take the first question. I think one of the challenges that I face in, um, that we face in in Fulham is that it's a place of great change. People don't hang around. Um, They're there for a time. Um, They want to uh, get engaged, but then they they move on. That's the Christians. Um, For those who aren't, they're there for a time. They don't want to get engaged, but they move on. It just makes, I suppose, um, at the heart of church is uh, relationships and that kind of mobility is a challenge to that it's got some blessings it means that you can multiply out from london but it, it does it's a bit of a challenge in creating a, a really attractive consistent community that can then commend the gospel um that's one of the biggest biggest challenges i face one of the biggest challenges i face with, with men i think to be to be frank is to um try and uh, demonstrate the credibility of uh, a faith that sometimes presents uh, in quite a, um, well, with, with values like forgiveness and, and gentleness and uh, humility and uh, self-control, uh, sometimes that seems like something that doesn't have uh, immediately much to commend itself to, to a fallen male psyche. Very well put. Um, that's your professional life, Rupert. What do you like to do uh, in your spare time on the weekend, so to speak? Uh, well, I'm a vicar, so I don't have any spare time at the weekend, and I'm surprised you haven't worked that out yet, Pat. That, I think that explains an awful lot about your ministry. Um, I, um, what I love to do is um, run by the river. It's one of the great joys of living in Fulham. Um, but I can't. I've got a dodgy back. So I retired from, from running, and I now swim, uh, somewhat frustratingly, in a swimming pool right next to the river. But it's, <laughs> it's completely in a box, so it could be anywhere. Um, and, the, and all the windows point up to the sky. Um, so I swim next to the river, up and down, up and down, up and down. That's all I can do. <laughs> Fantastic. It's not. Well, I think we'd recommend staying in the pool as opposed to the river. So um, why don't we uh, stretch a hand out to Rupert? We're going to pray for him. Then uh, our reader is going to bring our reading and Rupert's going to speak to us. Father, we thank you uh, for this morning the chance to gather in the name of Jesus freely in this great city of London. Lord, as men, as sons of the living God, we thank you for Rupert, Lord, for his ministry. We pray for him this morning that your Holy Spirit would equip him with all he needs, Lord, to deliver your word, to speak the very words of God to us. Lord, give us ears to hear and hearts willing to respond. 
and send us out from this place fired up to live for your name, for your glory. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. 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 Mike is going to bring our reading and then Rupert's going to speak to us. This morning's reading is taken from Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 26 to verse 40. And it's on page 1101 if you want to follow in the Red Bible. Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 26. Philip and the Ethiopian. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out on his way. He met an Ethiopian, eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? for his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Great, thank you very much for that uh, reading. Uh, Do keep that open in front of you. And you should find on your seats, uh, there's a a short uh, outline with a a map on it. Geography is a really important part of the way that Luke has put together this account of the continuing works of Jesus through the Acts of the Apostles. And um, he's always giving us geography. It would be such a help if a map was printed on every page of uh, uh, Acts. Uh, It's not, so I've put it on an outline and there's some points there to uh, help us as we look at this passage. Pat, thank you very much for your invitation to come and speak at Burning Man this morning. It's very good to be with you. Um, When Pat told me that the passage that he'd asked me to speak on, I was somewhat apprehensive. Um, Quite a few years ago now, I was leading on a a Christian summer camp for, for teens And and one of the days of the camp, this particular passage from Acts chapter 8, was the set dormitory Bible study. We had about eight 14-year-old boys uh, in our group. And to be honest, uh, when we opened up Acts chapter 8, we never really got beyond the word eunuch in our Bible study. Um, 
Some of the boys had no idea uh, what a eunuch was. And once we'd explained uh, that a eunuch was someone who'd been castrated, and then once we'd explained what being castrated involved, well, we never really got beyond that concept. And that was an entirely fascinating and ridiculous and hilarious thing to be thinking about for the next 20 minutes. I'm hoping for better things this morning uh, because there are some fantastic and encouraging things here for us to see in this passage about God and his great work of evangelism, his commitment to getting the good news about his son out into his world. You can see I've put down three things to guide us on the outline. And the first one is this, that God is the grower of the gospel. God is the grower of the gospel. And you see that really clearly at either end of the passage that's just been read out for us. So in verse 26 of Acts chapter 8, God is the one who initiates this encounter between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. If you have a look at verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Philip started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. God initiates this. And then at the very end, God wraps things up, brings it to a close. Do you see verse 39? When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again. He went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared in Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This encounter, evangelistic encounter between Philip who was a Christian and this eunuch who becomes a Christian is entirely God's doing, God's initiative. It wasn't Philip's idea in the first place. He was, uh, we find him earlier on in chapter 8, happily preaching the gospel uh, further up country in Samaria. It wasn't the eunuch's idea He was a devout man. He'd gone to Jerusalem to worship God, but he was just sitting in his chariot, quietly reading the book of Isaiah, getting confused with the Bible. But God brings these two people together, and he makes sure that they meet each other on the desert road, going south from Jerusalem to Gaza, because God is the grower of the gospel. And that's what we see going on here. It's a little snapshot of what God does. Now, to see that really clearly, we need to uh, turn back in our Bibles to the beginning of the book of Acts. Keep a a paw in Acts chapter 8. We're going to be doing a bit of flipping around this morning, not least to keep us wide awake. Chapter 1 and verse 8, if you could turn back with me. It is such a key verse in the book of Acts It's worth remembering that wherever you are in the book of Acts, whatever you happen to be reading in your own Bible reading, it's always worth keeping a finger in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 and thinking to yourself, how does what I'm reading in Acts fit with this verse? Acts chapter 1 verse 8, before Jesus has returned to heaven, it's one of the last, it's one of the most important things he says to his disciples. Have a look at what he says with me. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 
and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There's Jesus' mandate, Jesus' plan for his disciples. It's his plan for the world, not just his disciples. In the power of the Holy Spirit, so not on their own or in their own strength. They are to be his witnesses. They're to bear witness, testimony to him, who he is, what he has done amongst them. First of all, they're to do that, he says, in Jerusalem, which is where he's speaking to them. Then beyond Jerusalem, to the countryside around Judea and Samaria, you can see that from the map. But then beyond that area, to the whole world, to the ends of the earth. That is the plan that God is committed to, uh, to what I've called in this first point, to growing the gospel, getting the message of Jesus out into the world. And that is the plan that this encounter between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch fits into. It's part of that plan. Just turn uh, on in your Bibles towards chapter 8, to, to, turn to, towards our passage. Turn to the beginning of Acts chapter 8. To see this plan unfolding, being worked out. So as we pick up the plan, the beginning of chapter 8, the gospel, this message about Jesus, has already filled Jerusalem. Thousands, Luke tells us in in the early chapters of Acts, have, have become Christians. Phase one of the plan has been completed. And it doesn't take too long at all. But because it, in fact, partly is so successful, there's pushback against this plan. And we find that Stephen, the first Christian martyr, is killed because of the success of this plan. It's shaking people's cages. It's causing concern. Have a look with me at the second part of verse 1 of chapter 8. On that day, that is the day that Stephen is killed as the first Christian martyr, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, phase one. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout, where? Judea and Samaria. Do you see? Phase two is rolled out. Have a look with me at verse four. Those who'd been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. And that's what Philip was doing when God calls him through this angel in verse 26 of our passage to the next phase of the plan. Because what we have in in our reading this morning is phase three beginning. The gospel beginning to reach the ends of the earth. Last week, uh, I went to see uh, the new Jennifer Lawrence film uh, called Joy with one of my uh, teenage daughters. I have nearly four teenage daughters, and um, this is something I decided to do with one of them. It's the story of a woman who invents a mop, my daughter told me. So I knew I wasn't in for a a thrilling uh, evening. And it does, to be fair, tell that story, and it's not a thrilling story. But it's really telling a much bigger story than that. 
The film Joy is, is telling the story of how television, particularly in the uh, 70s in the States, totally transformed the way everyone bought things, the way everyone did their shopping, and the way that the internet has changed it again uh, more recently. And that's probably another reason why I didn't have such a great evening, because that's not a particularly interesting story either. But in a similar and a much more interesting way, that's what we've got here in Acts chapter 8. It's the story of Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch. It's just one story in a much, much bigger story. The story of God's plan to grow the gospel, to fill the world with the good news of Jesus. But it's at this point in Acts chapter 8 that phase 3 of the story begins. Let's have a look and see how that happens. Verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. You can see on the map to get your bearings. Philip has gone, we've seen this already, from Jerusalem because of the persecution up to Samaria to preach the gospel there. And now from there, God calls him down south of Jerusalem to the desert road. Verse 27. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. So do you see how God is at work in this encounter, growing the gospel? This man is an important man, an important official of Queen Candace. He's her Chancellor of the Exchequer. He's her CFO. He's from Ethiopia, we're told, which at that time, the time of the uh, Roman Empire, would have been regarded as the ends of the earth. That's as far as anyone had thought about going. This man is a devout worshipper of God. The round trip from Ethiopia to the temple in Jerusalem and back was over 2,000 miles in a chariot. He's willing to make that trip to worship God. Which is even more remarkable when you realize that when he got to the temple in Jerusalem, as a foreigner, he wouldn't actually have been allowed into the temple to make any sacrifices himself. That as, as, a, as, a, as an African, as a non-Jew, he would have been restricted to the court of the Gentiles, only able to pay for the sacrifices of others going into the temple to worship. But more than that, as a eunuch, he would have been explicitly excluded from worshipping God in the temple. I've put down there on the sheet a, a reference from the Old Testament, from the book of Deuteronomy, that would have made that very clear. Deuteronomy 23, verse 1 says this No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. That is, may join in with the worship of God. I know it's a bit early in the morning for those sorts of cross-references. But just to understand, this guy has made a 2,000-mile 
round trip to worship God and the message he's come away with is you're not welcome here. You can't come in. Someone like you cannot legitimately belong to the people of God. And when Philip catches up with this man, he he finds him reading the scriptures, reading the Bible, maybe for comfort, maybe to try and get some answers to this question why he has an urge to worship a God he can't worship. Do you see how God is at work in this man's life, growing the gospel, bringing the gospel plan to phase three, to the ends of the earth? And he's in work in in Philip's life too. If you look, verse 29, we've seen already in the call of the angel, but verse 29, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Until that point, Philip had no idea why he was on the desert road. He hadn't been told what to do or why he was there. It's that chariot, stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot And he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Despite what we've seen, there are no coincidences in any of this. God is at work engineering all of it, bringing these two people together together in the way that he does because God is committed to something much bigger than just these two individuals he's committed to this plan of growing the gospel filling the world with the good news of Jesus the gospel going to the ends of the earth and this is where it starts with this Ethiopian man maybe it's so commonplace to us to think of the gospel reaching to the ends of the earth and to think it's always been reaching to the ends of the earth well this is where it starts it starts here with one man but it's still going today same plan but there are lots more people to reach turns out the ends of the earth includes an awful lot of people in Acts 8 God is very explicit He gives Philip direct, specific instructions using an angel. And that seems to be the pattern throughout the book of Acts. Every time the gospel moves from one phase to another, from Jerusalem, phase one, to Judea, Samaria, phase two, and then from Judea and Samaria, phase two, to the ends of the earth, phase three, every time it makes that move out, God moves it in a a dramatic, often a quite miraculous way. But once the gospel has made that jump, what we find as we read in Acts is things often proceed quite normally, quite mundanely even, if that's an appropriate word for the spread of the gospel. Which means that today, still in phase three of God's plan, to fill the world with the gospel. God may well give us direct, specific instructions about where to go, who to speak to at a particular place, in a particular way. He may even use an angel to do that. 
But he doesn't have to because he's already done that here. He's already launched phase three right here in Acts chapter eight with Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch. See, Acts chapter one, verse eight is still his plan. Hasn't been revoked. It's a really good plan. We're still in phase three of that plan. And the great thing about living in London and still being in phase three is that we don't have to go anywhere. That is, we don't have to go anywhere geographically to play our part in that plan. To be sure, we have to leave our comfort zone, what we feel comfortable doing as Christian men. To be sure, we have to, to recognise that, just like Philip, each one of us has a part to play in phase three. But the ends of the earth have come to London, which means we can play our part in phase three right here, right where we live. Now, despite the immense convenience of that, it may well be that we feel overwhelmed by that, almost confronted by that. See, the the truth is, if we're honest with ourselves, this is way outside our comfort zone. Speaking to people who are different to us, from a different race, from a different class, it's not something we would choose to do ordinarily. But do you see from Acts 8, we play our part in something that God is doing. God is growing, not us. He's the one who initiates every single evangelistic encounter that you have ever had in your life or you will ever have. Any opportunity that you ever get to share your faith, they're all engineered by God, not by you. I don't know if you realize that. I don't know if you've been taking the credit for something that you shouldn't have been. There are no coincidences when Philip met this Ethiopian eunuch. And there are no coincidences in the people that you meet or will meet in the course of your life or in the course of today. On your way to work from here, as you do your work today, the people that you will meet, the people that you will speak to, No coincidence. All engineered by God. Will you allow that to give you confidence? To enable you to take some risks with your your faith, with the gospel? God is the grower of the gospel. Not you. But he wants to use you if you are willing, like Philip was, to be used. That's the first thing. God is the grower of the gospel. The second thing is that Jesus is the content of the gospel. Jesus is the content of the gospel. Have a look with me at verse 32 of Acts chapter 8. The eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, 
and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now, not only is this man reading the Bible when Philip meets him, but he's reading the clearest passage in the whole Bible about the death of Jesus on the cross, Isaiah 53. In a sense, it doesn't get any easier than that, does it? If you're thinking about sharing your faith with someone else, he's reading the best explanation of the death of Christ that there is. Although, having said that, when I was a student at college, um, I had a friend called Mark who was uh, Jewish, very serious about his Jewish faith. I shared my faith with him uh, as a Christian, and the truth is Mark wasn't really that interested in the gospel. But one day I had this bright idea of reading this same chapter of Isaiah that the Ethiopian eunuch is, is reading in his chariot, Isaiah 53. Because it's still part of the, the Jewish scriptures, and I thought that would persuade him, would be an added weight to my witness. Now, I don't know if you're um, familiar with Isaiah 53. It's such a great passage. It's, it's worth turning to it. It'd be a travesty to have it referred to and not to turn to it. So in your Bibles, if you turn back to page 740, do keep a hand in uh, Acts chapter 8. We'll be coming back there in just a moment. Before I read Isaiah 53 to uh, my friend Mark, I said to him, as I read it, I want you to tell me at the end of it who this reminds you of. Who do you think the prophet is speaking of? And so I, I read it, stood there and I read it to him. I read the whole chapter, I read verse 4. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And I read, I read the whole chapter. I read the verses um, that the unit was reading, which are the next verses, verses 7 and 8. And at the end of the whole chapter... I said to Mark, who does that remind you of? And Mark went absolutely nuts. He completely lost it. He said that I'd made things up in reading this to make it sound like it was Jesus. He said he'd never heard this part of the scriptures read in the synagogue, that he'd been warned by his rabbis about this kind of Christian trick to make Jews believe and he never wanted to speak to me again. And he never did. <clears throat> so just in case you're thinking that Philip had it easy with this guy reading, reading Isaiah 53, in my experience, it doesn't always work out as easy as you think it's going to go with this passage. Keep a finger in Isaiah 53. Come back to <clears throat> Acts chapter 8. Because the, the particular verses 
from Isaiah 53 that uh, we're told this man is reading in his chariot are really important to help us understand why he becomes a Christian. Do you remember this man is returning from the temple in Jerusalem where he'd gone to worship God and he got the message, you're not welcome. You can't join us as you are. And then he reads in Isaiah about someone, if you look in verse 33 of Acts chapter 8, he reads about someone who in his humiliation was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. He reads about a man who, like him, has been humiliated, publicly put to shame, deprived of a right. He reads about a man who, like him, will have no descendants, this man through death, through his life being taken from the earth, not through being a eunuch, being unable to have descendants. So he reads about a man with whom he can deeply identify. What he's about to discover is that this man has deeply identified with him. Verse 34, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet speaking about himself or someone else? By which I think he means is, is this a man I can meet or is he long since dead and buried? Because actually, I'd really like to meet this man. I think I'd understand him. I think he'd understand me. Philip's answer, verse 35. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Philip's answer to his question is, the prophet is talking about someone else. And that someone else is Jesus Christ. And as a matter of fact, he is someone who's quite recently dead and buried, but who you can nevertheless meet because he rose from the dead and he is alive again. Let me tell you, says Philip, the good news from the scriptures about Jesus because Jesus is the content of the gospel. This someone else that you're reading about has, has taken your humiliation, your sense of isolation and, and loneliness as someone who is alone in the world, who will be without descendants. He's taken all of that on himself, off you and onto himself. And no doubt, as, as Philip explained that to this man, he, he rolled the scroll of Isaiah back to verse 4 of Isaiah 53. Just have a flip back with me to see how Philip would have explained the good news of Jesus from the scriptures. Surely he took up our pain, your pain, and bore our suffering, your suffering and humiliation. Verse 5, he was pierced for your transgressions, Philip would have said to this man. He was crucified for your iniquities. The punishment that brought you peace was on him, and by his wounds... You can be healed. This someone else that you're reading about, this man, is Jesus. He suffered and died for you, 
Philip would have told this man. His death in your place means that you can now come to worship God freely. That now you are welcome to belong to God's family, be part of his people. And maybe as the chariot rolled along, Philip rolled the scroll forwards in the book of Isaiah to chapter 56. It's a chapter that uh, speaks about the results of the death of this one man for others. Just roll your scroll uh, forwards for a moment. And look with me at Isaiah 56 and verse 4. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me, hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my temple, within my temple and its walls, a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters, an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer, not outside it, in it. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. It'd be a wonderful thing, wouldn't it, to show this man what flows out of the death of Jesus Christ. Because of his death, eunuchs and foreigners, those previously humiliated and excluded, will be welcomed in, free to worship the living God. Come back to uh, Acts chapter 8. Verse 35, then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And it is good news, isn't it? That message to a man like that. I know you've had uh, Rico Tice with you this term. I don't know whether he shared this with you when he was with you um, just the other week or whether he said this before to you. But one of the passions that he has for those of us who are Christians is to get the Bible open with our non-Christian friends and colleagues. Get the Bible open is one of Rico's great mantras. We need to be willing as Christians to to ask the question. It's a simple question, but it's a nerve-wracking question when you come to it. Would you like to look at the Bible with me? He's a great encourager, Rico, to get us over that pain line. To get us asking the question. Well, with Philip, with this guy, he's already got the Bible open at Isaiah 53. It's not going to be as easy as that for us most of the time. But one thing I'd like to recommend to you that we're finding at our church in in Fulham, St. Peter's, that makes getting the Bible open a whole lot easier um, is this resource. It's called Uncover, See for Yourself. It's a series of Seven Bible studies from Luke's Gospel. All the the passages from Luke's Gospel there, you don't actually even need a Bible to do a Bible study with Uncover. It's all printed there. All the questions for the Bible study are already there. 
you don't need to do any preparation at all. You don't need to be a Bible expert to get the Bible open with someone. You just need to be willing to ask the question. Rico raves about this resource, Uncover, because it helps us do what Philip is doing here, what he does with this man. Get the Bible open. And then from the Bible, tell others the good news about Jesus. I've got brought with me 10 copies for any 10 people here who can work out this is a brilliant resource and want to take it away. They're just on the table and they're free. They're our gift from uh, our church to this ministry. See, apologetics, uh, giving explanations for the Christian faith are great. Answering our friends and colleagues' objections to Christianity It's really crucial. It has its place. But ultimately, what we want to be doing, what we need to be doing as Christians is speaking, telling other people about this man, Jesus. And if we're doing that from the Bible, then we know that the Jesus that we're talking about is the right Jesus, is the authentic Jesus, is the one they need to hear about. God is the grower of the gospel. Jesus is the content of the gospel. And then thirdly, lastly, if we get involved in this, if we take our place in phase three of God's plan for his world, Luke is wanting to tell us here in Acts chapter eight, we get to enjoy the power of the gospel, seeing that at work in our own lives and seeing that at work in the lives of others. Have a look at verse 36. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, why shouldn't I be baptised? Look, here is water. Presumably, Philip had already got on to uh, baptism as a way of responding to the good news about Jesus. Because this appears to be the the eunuch's suggestion, not, not Philip's. But Philip sees no reason for this man not to be baptised. The next verse, he gave orders to stop the chariot Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptised him. See, Philip gets the privilege of baptising this man, of seeing the power of the gospel at work in another person's life firsthand. What a privilege. All because he's willing to play his part in phase three. Verse 39 When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. The eunuch doesn't have the joy of seeing Philip ever again, but he does have the joy of knowing now that he belongs in God's family that he's free to worship God. He does have the joy now of being able to take that gospel message, that good news about Jesus back with him to Africa, to the ends of the earth. See, this man is now part of the plan, part of phase three. And Philip gets the joy of being involved in God's ongoing plan of growing the gospel in all the towns, all the way to Caesarea. And what's true of these two can be true of us. 
if we're willing to play our part in the same plan, if we're willing to play our part, we get to see the power of the gospel at work in the lives of others as we tell them the good news about Jesus. We get the joy of being used by God right here in London, right where we live, where we work, without having to go anywhere, bringing the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth, right here. This unit went on his way rejoicing. Philip went on his way preaching the gospel. In a moment, you're going to be going on your way to work. How you go, what you do as you go, how you see the day ahead of you, the people ahead of you, the opportunities ahead of you, whether you see them at all, will depend on how you see God involved in your life, committed to his plan. Who you ultimately want to be talking about with people. Whether you're willing to play your part in something much, much bigger than you. Your part in God's plan. Phase three is happening right here in London. We have the opportunity of being a part of that and enjoying being a part of that. Why don't we take a few moments to reflect on that, our part as Christian men in God's plan to grow the gospel here in London. And I'll lead us in a prayer and then there's uh, some time for some discussion. Heavenly Father, you know us um, so well and you know that often when we think about um, sharing our faith, um, we are daunted by that and we, 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 we draw back from that. Um, we fear um, the censure of others. We seek the approval of others. We're, we're conscious of being compromised by our sin and yet we thank you for this glimpse of what you are doing in your world, your commitment to the good news about your son, and the confidence that that can give us, that, that you are still at work in this way, in this city, to this same end. Please would you allow, allow that to build our confidence in you, not, not in our boldness but in your uh, sovereign power and then that would uh, give us an incentive to share 
in a ministry like this to get the Bible open with those who don't know you, to share with them the good news, the great good news that they need to hear about Jesus. And for the blessing of that to, to flow, therefore, into their lives and for us to be able to see that and be a part of that and be used by you in that way. Father, please would you entice us with that joy and build us <clears throat> our confidence knowing that you are at work amongst us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.